Hey, good morning. There we go. It's good to see all of you today. I hope you're well. I'm not going to lie. I woke up this morning pretty early when it was still dark out and thought, it's raining again. It's amazing how after just like 18 hours of no rain, you forget that it just is going to rain again, right? Anyone there with me? But I hope you're drying out. Uh, well, hey, we're in a series, um, and I hope you've enjoyed just what God's doing. It is so fun. On Thursday night, we were here for our pursuit night, and I don't, I was taught by my parents it's not good to rub things in when you win, right? To be a good sport. But if you weren't here, <laughs> you missed out. I mean, it was awesome. They've been so good. A monthly uh, night that we just uh, dedicate to worship and prayer. And it's just so cool what God's doing. Uh, we have another one coming, though. So, um, but, man, we just had a great time. We love what God is doing. And uh, just excited for today. Um, and so we're just going to jump right in. We're talking about sustaining an encounter. Right? How many of you know that God doesn't want to just meet you once and then just, like, see you in heaven? Right? That's not the idea of Christianity. Like, all right, I, I met him once when he was 14, and I'll spend eternity with him, so I'll talk to him in heaven. No. <laughs> no. God wants to encounter you. If you've been encountered by him, there is something that he wants to do in your life, and it's called transformation. Right? We talked about transformation last week. And that is um, what God wants to do in you today, is where you're at today is good. Right, I'm looking at you, I am grateful for where you're at today, but how many of you know, and you're looking at me saying, man, I love where you're at today, but if I'm in the same place a year from now as I am today, how many of you know I'm probably not walking a life of transformation like I could be? Right? So God wants us to transform more into the image of his son Jesus Christ. If you weren't here last week, we talked about a transformation that God wants to do in all of us where we become from being just a follower of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus, right? And when we talk about a follower, we're all followers, right? But the, the definition that we use is one who strictly absorbs, puts his head down, and just follows the guy in front of him, right? Being a follower. We're not talking about being a follower in the good sense. We're saying one who just like, just puts his head down and doesn't have to have a brain as long as he can just follow the guy in front of him. In Mark uh, chapter 1, we see when Jesus called his disciples, he said this, and this is uh, out of the, the Amplified. He says, come and follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. How many of you know that that word transform is a process? Right? That sometimes, most of the time, all the time in my life, isn't an overnight thing. Right? The transformation is something that God wants to do day after day, month after month, and really like you know, year after year. You know, I hope I never get done being transformed into the image of Jesus until I'm in heaven someday. Right? That is the goal that God has for us, is that we would always be changing. Um, we talked about a transformation that God wants to do in us where we are not just following, but we are saying, how do I lead others? How do I 
rally others around me. So that's kind of what we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about, and the title is Nothing to Lose. Okay, Nothing to Lose. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm stuck in between a rock and a hard place? Anyone ever heard that? Does anyone feel like that's ever happened to you? How about some of you think you're there right now? I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. How about the phrase, I'm in a lose-lose situation? Anyone ever been there before? Where you're like, it really doesn't matter what I do because I'm kind of up a crick either way. Anyone? Or is it just, you know, me at times? No, we're all there, right? Where we're thinking, man, does it really matter what I do because it's just going to be the same result? And so in the midst of that this morning, I want to talk about nothing to lose. Say nothing to lose. Okay, this morning you have nothing to lose. And we're going to talk about it. We're actually going to read an Old Testament story. Um, And here's the deal about the Old Testament. There are truths and there are revelations that God wants to reveal through the Old Testament for your New Testament life today. Okay, and so if you're like, man, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament, well, guess what? God wants to transform your life today through the power of the story. Amen? And so uh, just prepare your hearts. We're going to dive in. First uh, Corinthians, New Testament, says this. He says, now these things happened to them, and he's talking about the people of Israel. So he's referring to the Old Testament. He says, now these things happened to them as an example and warning. Okay, so the things that our spiritual ancestors went through, they went through them as an example and a warning. Like, hey, don't do some of those things because you don't want to get into the same mess that they were in at times, right? So there's an example, there's a warning, but they were written for our instruction. Say instruction. Okay, they were written so that you would be instructed on something. To admonish and equip us is what the Amplified says. So there's things that they went through that you can learn from, but then also that you can be equipped by. Okay, so it's not just a great story. And it always cracks me up as a pastor when people say, man, the Bible is so boring. If you've ever read the Old Testament, I mean, that is like a guy's dream of a book. I mean, you've got like wars and, you know, all sorts of drama and you've just got these guys that are like often guys with a donkey bone. I mean, they are just like, it's, they're going to town. So it's not boring. There's things we can learn from the Old Testament. So you're gonna turn back in your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings. So just a little, little history, okay? Because I, I don't have time to read all the scriptures, so I want to set it up. But this takes place in the time of Israel when the nation of Israel, which was God's people, were being ruled by a king, okay? So God would appoint, um, a king was set in place, and that king's job was to rule the nation. Um, and we find ourselves in the story of a king named Joram. Okay, King Joram, and I I don't know what number king he was, but he unfortunately ruled at the time, and he was, just because you're put in a position of leadership does not mean that you have a good heart, right? So King Joram, unfortunately, did not lead the nation of Israel closer to God. In fact, he built false idols, and he built false worship, and he led them away from the true calling that God has for his people. And unfortunately, there was a lot of kings of Israel 
that did not lead God's people in the way that God had for them. But they did it in their own strength and rebellion, different things like that. In fact, you think this guy, trying to give you a picture, he was so disrespected as a king, he was so not taken seriously that they, in the, when they were writing this book, they did not even mention him by name. He was so laughable because they were like, uh, we'll just call him the king of Israel and not refer to him by his name because he's that bad. Okay, so, so, so just picture it with me. Like, I can't even mention his name because he's horrible. So we'll just call him the king. Okay, so politically, we've got a bad guy. Okay, he's just a bad dude, King Joram, but he's the king of Israel. Okay. At the same time in our story where we have a nasty king, and so you've got all sorts of political trauma, drama, turmoil, opinion going on. Sound familiar? Hey, maybe a little bit. Okay. During this time, we've got a nasty king, but God always had a prophet. And what a prophet did in the Old Testament is he would be like an advisor to the king. And he would take what God was saying and he would relay it to the king. And so we have a bad king, but we have probably the best prophet ever that's serving God during this time. His name was Elisha. Okay, and so Elisha was the uh, prodigy of the prophet Elijah. Okay, Elijah, Elisha. And Elisha walked in a double portion of anointing. Okay, so we have a bad king, but we have just a strong move of God happening through Elisha's life. Okay, this is not in, well, I shouldn't lie. This is in my notes. This isn't part of my message, but you can just, you can just take it how you want. Side note, there is a connection between when you have ungodly governments ruling, reigning, turmoil, distraction. There is a connection between that and an opportunity for God's people to rise up in faith, okay? There may be turmoil in, in government. There may be turmoil in our nation. There may be turmoil in this nation at the time, but at the very same time of chaos, confusion, destruction, God wants to raise up a voice from his kingdom that will be louder than the voice of the political arena that is happening at that time. You can just take that or leave it. Okay, moving right along to my sermon. And I believe God is raising up a church, amen? I believe God wants to raise up a church, and you're part of it. In the middle of this, so we've got all this going on. We also have a famine, okay? If you do not know what a famine is, it means, like, no food, incredible hunger, and, and uh, not just, oh, I, I'm a little bit hungry, my tummy's growling. We've got, like, you know, potential casualties happening, okay? So we've got a famine going on. Um, and this famine was not just because... Like, there was nothing to eat. This famine was a result of the enemy army taking all the food, taking all the cattle, and trying to use it as a tactic to bring their enemy to surrender. So they took, the Armenians took all the food, and they thought, if we can just take all the food, we'll get God's people to eventually surrender because they have to eat. Okay? So we've got a lot going on, right? It's not boring at all. That's pretty cool. So we're going to pick it up in 2 Kings uh, chapter 7, and we have Elisha, the prophet, is talking to the king of Israel, okay? We'll, we'll mention him by name just because, just okay? So Joram, um, so Elisha goes to the king, and he says this, starting with just verse 1. He says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what God says. 
about this time tomorrow, tomorrow, about this time tomorrow, <laughs> Esea, okay, S-E-A-H, and it's a measurement, okay, Esea, which it's the equivalent of about nine quarts, okay, because I'm thinking, what's a, you know, Esea, equivalent of nine quarts, so he says about this time tomorrow, so in 24 hours, nine quarts of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, okay, that is the equivalent to like 29 cents on the American dollar today, okay, so compared to where they were, it's pretty much he's saying, at this time tomorrow, there's going to be so much food that you can barely give it away. It's going to be so cheap, you don't know what to do with yourselves. In 24 hours, we're in the middle of a famine. And we're not, again, we're not talking hunger. We're talking where we've got mothers selling their kids, eating their kids because of starvation. Okay, we have people spending the equivalent of almost 400 American dollars on a donkey's head to eat. Like, I'm not going to go eat no donkey's head. Okay, so we've got some, it's severe people. Okay, this is severe stuff going on. Elisha says, hey, at this time tomorrow, food's going to be cheap. Two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer, okay, the officer is the the right hand of the king. The king's right-hand guy, whose arm the king was leaning on, said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? Okay, When when you read other translations, pretty much the guy's saying, hey, even if God were to open up the windows and audibly speak, what you're talking about is impossible. And anyone have ever been in a situation like that? Hey, even if God were to show up now, I don't know if that would be enough. That's pretty much what this king's right-hand guy is saying to the prophet Elisha. Okay, it goes on. And he says, Elisha says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And he said that to the guy with doubt. Listen, can I just tell you this? In times of famine, spiritually speaking, if you are in a dry season of your life, if you feel like uh, there is nothing going on, I want to promise you this, that in the midst of your famine, there is always a promise. There is always a promise in the middle of your famine. Here's the question, though. You have a choice. You have a choice to listen to the facts, or you have a choice to put God's meaning towards your facts, right? When I say facts, what do I mean? Well, the fact is, there's no food. Listen, your facts this morning in your life, I don't know what they are, but the fact is, you may be in financial trouble today. The fact is, you may have some family members that seem too far gone to be reached by God. Okay, am I making sense to someone? You may have a a parent relationship that is going sideways and you don't even know what to do with that. Some of you in your marriage, you may be going, hey, the fact is, this is horrible right now. Okay, am I I making sense to anyone? Right, you know what I'm saying, facts? The fact is, man, things are going terrible right now. Listen, you have the opportunity 
to either listen to the facts or listen to the meaning that God wants to put to your facts, to the promise that God has for your facts. Listen, if you listen to the facts alone in your life, which are reality, the reality is you may miss the promise God has for you because God's ways go beyond the facts in your life. God's ways go beyond the reality that you face because God's ways are higher than ours. Amen? So don't listen to the facts. This guy here, the, the, the king's right-hand guy, he was listening to the facts in his reward that you will not eat any of the promise. God, I, wanna, I don't want to just watch what you're doing from afar. I want to be part of it. Anyone want to be there with me? Come on. Listen. Pretty much this guy is saying this. He's saying, yeah, it's bad out there. It's so bad that even a miracle couldn't rescue. Can I tell you what right now? Yeah, it may be bad out there. Yeah, can I tell you what right now? It may be bad in your life. It may be bad in aspects of my life. But by this time tomorrow, he says, God is doing something. Over and over and over and over and over again in God's word, God gives his kingdom to those who can receive what he's doing with faith. Listen, I do not see one example where people who doubted, walked in unbelief, were cynical, were negative, and were Debbie Downers. I don't see one example of where those people received the kingdom of God. Oh, that's pretty challenging because I'm kind of a glass half empty type of guy at times. I, I'm really good at seeing the problems. Anyone else really good at seeing the problems? Yeah. But listen, God does not reveal his kingdom to the doubter or the cynic or the skeptic. The word of God says love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. Even in the midst of negative circumstance, even in the next midst of it doesn't look like there could be a possible answer. I'm telling you right now that God's plans go beyond those things. Here's the problem with the doubter. The problem with the doubter is they do not live a life built on faith because the risk of disappointment it, the risk of disappointment is not worth it, and so they decide to play it safe. Listen, I don't want to be known as that crowd. Amen? I don't want to be known as that person. Okay, moving right along to our story. Man, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> Preaching to myself. Woo! Verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, the famine is there, and we die. And if we stay here, we die. So, let's go over to the camp of the Armenians, the enemy. Let's go to the enemy, and let's give in. Let's surrender. Because if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. <laughs> you see the theme? There's a lot of we die going on. And if you read other translations, it says this, and this is comical. It says, if they kill us, we die quickly. 
<laughs> okay, right on. So we've got four lepers with not a lot of options around them. Listen, back in the day, leprosy was pretty much a death sentence. Leprosy it meant not only would you die, but you were going to die a bad life. It meant that you were going to be outcast, that you were going to be isolated, that you were going to be one whose society says, keep away from those people because you don't want to catch what they have. Listen, in a spiritual famine, spiritually speaking, inactivity will not sustain you. When you are dry spiritually, doing nothing will not get you to be full spiritually speaking. Listen, the reality is by staying where you are, you will not be filled up. Has any of you ever read the scripture that says the heavens are like brass? Anyone? Have you ever felt like that in your life? You're like, I didn't know that was a scripture, but I feel like that's my life. Where I feel like the heavens are like brass. I want to tell you something. If you feel that way this morning, I want to encourage you to move your position to the place where God can hear your prayers. To move your position to the place where God can hear your cries. Listen, these four lepers who were dying would be dead if they would not have moved their position. Inactivity in a famine will not sustain you. Second thing today, and this is, I struggle with this one, right? We're taught from a young age to always look for the greener grass, right? Anyone, anyone ever do that? Man, the grass looks greener. Well, guess what? In the famine, your only option may be half-dead grass, right? The grass may not be greener, but God still may be in it. Listen, these four men, what was their options? Stay and die. Go to the city and die. Go to the enemy and probably die. I'll take the probably die. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance that I'm not going to die. Right? Come on. Listen, if they would have waited for a green grass to appear, they would have died because in a famine, the grass may not look greener. Listen, when it all seems hopeless, the inactivity may be the final dagger. You know, think about these lepers. How many of you know they probably had a lot of reasons to count themselves out? Right? Think about it. They are the scum of the scum, the low of the low, the infected of the infected. No one wants to see them. No one wants to look at them. No one wants to talk to them. Do you think they had a lot of self-confidence that they were going to be ones to sustain the nation? No. They were the least likely candidates to be used by God. So my, 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 my challenge to you today is do not count yourself out for being used by what God wants to do in your heart. Do not count yourself out because I don't think anyone in here has leprosy. But what is your excuse for why God can't use you today? Come on, what is it? 
What is your excuse for why you're not ready today for God to do a miracle through your heart? Right? I got to answer my own life. What is it? What do I say? Well, God, until, you can't use me until this. I love this, this quote that Charles Spurgeon said. I think I have it on our, our scriptures. But it says this. If you were to take out all of the scripture, all of the stories that have to do with the poor, the afflicted men and women, what a very small book the Bible would be. Especially if together with the stories you removed all the psalms of the sorrowful, all the promises for the distressed, and all the passages which belong to the children of grief. This book indeed for the most part is made up of records of the poor and the despised. Listen, God works through broken people. God works through imperfect people. God cannot work through those who are strong of this world. But he works through those who have been broken. These four lepers, they say this. They're sitting outside at the city gate, and suddenly it dawns on them, we've got nothing to lose. Let's give it a shot. Listen, this morning, I believe God would say for many of you, and myself. You have nothing to lose. Would you give my kingdom a shot? Would you give me a chance to show up in your life? I love this, this quote. I actually wasn't going to use this, and I listened to a friend that preached, and he had this quote from Martin Luther King weekend. I thought, man, that is too good. But Martin Luther King said this. He said, we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. This is no time for apathy or complacency. And that was probably written in the 60s. Listen, I remember when I was 16 years old, I was thinking God was using me. I was feeling pretty confident. And I shared and I said something like, I was in a small group and I said, hey, well, if God doesn't use me, it's all right because he'll use me again the next week. And I got so mad at this adult in my life that was speaking truth to me. And they, she said this, she said, how do you know God's not going to just give that something to someone else to do? And I thought, I got really mad at her and I was like, how could you say that? But the reality is God does have windows of opportunity and I don't want to miss those windows that he has for us. Verse 5 of our story. At dusk, the four men got up. They went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So the Armenians said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired a Hittite and an Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up. They fled at dusk, and they abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left everything at the camp as it was, and they ran for their lives. Listen, you may feel powerless. You may be powerless. Okay, these lepers were powerless. But I want to tell you something. The God that we serve has all power. The God that we serve is not 
powerless. And so if we will just take a step of faith to do what he's called us to do, I promise you that he will not only lead us out, but he will ensure that victory is part of our future inheritance. Amen? Come on. Listen, God is always out to work for his kingdom good in your life. He is always out to work for his kingdom good in your life. So so do you see what happened in our story? They leave, they come to a camp, a big camp that is completely empty. So what do they do? They do what you would have done, right? They do what I would have done. Verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents, and they ate, and they drank. And then it goes on, and it says, they took silver, they took gold, they hid it, they came back, and they ate some more, and they drank some more, probably to the point of being sick and being full and being sustained. Okay? They did what you and I would have done if you were on the verge of death. Listen, to sustain an encounter with God, you can never forget about his goodness in your life. Listen, the moment that I forget of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's faithfulness is the moment that I will start walking in a spiritual famine in my life again. Listen, we cannot forget God's goodness. It starts with his goodness and his good good gifts that he gives his children. And that is the foundation for everything that God wants to do in you. John 15 says it this way. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen, other translations say abide. Listen, God wants his people, if we are going to sustain encounters, to be ones who do not leave his love, but we abide in it, we remain in it, we keep it with us as we live the life that God has called us to live. The Passion Translation says this. It says, to let my love nourish your hearts. Okay, these guys did what you and I would have done. And spiritually speaking, God wants his love to be the thing that nourishes our hearts. Moving right along. Verse 9 of our story. So we've got men, probably not as skinny as they were probably not as hungry as they were. They're eating, stuffing their faces. Have you ever been so hungry that you, for, that you don't even taste the food you're eating? Anyone? Or is it just my sons, right? It's like they eat and then it's like, did you guys like breathe as you were eating or did you just inhale while you were eating, right? So I imagine they stopped. And in verse 9 it says this. It says, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. Huh. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So all my message comes to this point. 
This is it. In the middle of their feeding their faces and sustaining their body, they come to a realization, and the message says it this way. This is a good day of good news, and we're making it into a private party. They have a realization in the middle of them sustaining ourselves that there is a nation, that there is a city, that there is loved ones, that there is sons, there is daughters, there is families that are on the verge of death. And they're sitting there shoving their faces. They said, there is people that need this nourishment. Listen, there comes a point in our lives where we stop living our lives just for ourselves. These guys are eating and they say, you know what? This is a good day. This can't remain with the four of us. Listen, these guys probably could have stayed at a long time because I don't think anyone's going to recognize, oh, the lepers are gone. They're going to be like, Thank God the lepers are gone. Listen, they could have stayed there forever. And it was completely okay for these guys to stuff their faces. But there was something inside of them where it would have become sin in their life for them to stay there any longer. There comes a point in our lives where you so badly know how something has touched your life Something has changed your life. Anyone ever been there where you so believe in something? You can't shut up about it. You can't keep quiet about it. About seven years ago in my life, I was reminiscing about my spiritual journey, and I began to think of um, just some incredible mentors that I've had in my life. And I was thinking about different men, uh, men like maybe a Pastor Dave Easterly, who's over here this morning, men like Pastor Tom Hardebeck, who's not here this morning. His wife's back there. He's, he's working... I was thinking about these men and just thinking about, man, a lot of the things that like are good about me are things I learned from these guys. And I began to think, man, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like I should probably just like go learn some more. But there came a point in my life where God said, the things that you have received in your life, you've received, it's now time for you to take those truths and start finding the next generation that you are going to instill those things into them. There came a point where I thought, you know, that's a good truth. I can't let it die with me. Listen, I love best day of the week right here, Sunday fun day. This is it. We get to come together. We get to worship God. Listen, I don't even have to think about what worship songs I need to sing. Why? Because we've got a worship team that comes and prepares and says, you know, this is what we feel like God's doing. You know what? All, you know what I get to do? I get to come. I get to close my eyes. And I get to receive. Right? We get to do that together. But guess what? There comes a point where if we just feast on his goodness over and over and over and over again, and we do not get the revelation that says there are people that need to hear this truth, this is a good day, we're making it into a private party, then we've missed it. Yeah. We've missed it. 
And I have to examine my own life to say, do I let the goodness of God come out of me or do I just sit in the goodness and wait for heaven to come? Worship team, would you come up? Listen, part of the process that God had for these lepers and part of the process that God has for you today is that he would develop in you a place of going back. That he would develop in you a place where you would go back. Well, what do you mean go back? Go back to those that need the nourishment. Okay, the scripture I just read of uh, verse 9 It says it this way. Will you go back to the slide? It says, they sat to each other. They said, what are we doing? What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. I was thinking about that, and I was kind of a little bummed. You know, as a preacher, when you have a story, and you want to use it for your sermon, and then the story doesn't help you with what you were thinking in your heart, right? You're like, man. Darn it, these guys went because they were scared of being punished, right? I don't want to fear people into, well, obey God because he's going to punish you. No. And I started thinking about it, and, and I was praying on Friday morning, and, and, and God said, I want you to look at punishment two different ways. Because one way is these guys said, man, because we owe it to the king, if we don't bring it to him, we're going to be punished, right? Because of fear of being caught, of being found out. We better, we, you know, we better tell them because we're going to die. Well, you were going to die before that anyway, so what's changed, right? So that's one way, but here's the second thing. Famine was so bad, was so desperate, their community, their nation was such at a place that if they did not get the miracle that they needed, mass casualty, mass death, mass destruction was their portion. Those men would have to live with themselves walking back to the camp, fat and happy, to funerals, death, mourning, they probably had family members in the town. If they waited, they may be burying their family. And so there was such, I believe, and how I read it, there was such a conviction that said, we cannot wait because tomorrow may never come for some of those people that need the nourishment. Would you stand up with me this morning? Listen, more was at stake for those guys bringing back the food, bringing back the news, because if they didn't, everything would change. How many of you want God to put that type of desire in your heart for those in your life that don't know Jesus and are dying because they don't? have the nourishment of Jesus. How many of you want that desire in your life? Come on. Right, a lot of us.
I want to pray for two, two, two people today, and then we're going to sing a song, right? Awesome. I don't know what song we're going to sing. But I really felt, and you'll come back next week, we're going to talk about vision and what God's doing. In the last few weeks, we've just kind of been priming the pump. But I feel like God wants to put that desire deep inside of many of us that would say, man, I've experienced his goodness. But if I keep his goodness to myself, I've turned it into a private party. Listen, God's gospel is not for the select few. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for every man and every woman and every child who lives on this earth that has a hope and a future. That gospel is for them as well. Amen? This morning, I don't know this room, if there's anyone in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity today. And again, I don't know, because I know many of you, but today, if you do not know Jesus, then today could be the greatest day of your life. It could be the day where you may be spiritually broken, spiritually in a famine, where I believe a relationship with Jesus will open your eyes and will sustain you to a whole new life that he has for you. If that's you today, again, I don't know, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you, and then we're going to pray. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. I also want to pray for this group of people. I want to pray for those of you that have walked with Jesus. I want to pray for those of you that maybe are in a spiritual famine in your life. I want to pray for some of you that have tasted the goodness of God, that there would be a revelation that comes upon your heart that says, I've tasted, but I've got to give this message. I've got to give the good news to those that need it. How many of you can say, that's me? Raise your hand. Let me see. We're going to pray, okay? A lot of us. Come on, let's, let's do this. Let's respond to God. Okay, so I'm going to pray. You can open your hands. You can raise your hands. But let's do some business with God today because I believe this is what he's doing. Because there is a famine. There are people that are hungry. There are family members that are hungry. And I believe that God is saying, would you, out of my goodness, would you come back? And would you share that goodness with them? So if that's you, just posture your hearts. Let's pray. Father, all over this place, Father, you see our hearts, you see our desire. Father, we like those four lepers. Father, I pray that there would be just a desire that would rise up in our hearts today that would say, why not? That there would be a spirit of, why not? Why can't God do this? Father, I pray for everyone in this room today. Father, that there would be that desire that would rise up within them. Father, that they would no longer be content to just enjoy the party, enjoy your goodness. Father, but there would be just a desire in us to say, how can I spread this gospel that has changed me into others?
Father, I, I thank you for your sustaining power in our lives. Father, I thank you, God, that you have not called us just to receive the good news and get our family saved and, and then just hold on till you come back. But Father, I pray that there would be a desire rise up within us. Father, I pray for that nothing to lose mentality to come upon us. Where we would realize by just staying where we are is not going to get us where you want us to be. Father, all over this place, I just pray a spirit of faith. I pray a spirit of grace. I pray a spirit of transformation. Here's what I believe this morning, that God sees our heart. And if you prayed that prayer with me, if you meant it in your heart, then get ready, because I believe God's gonna give you opportunities that you prayed about. <laughs> You're like, I didn't know that was what I was praying. Sorry. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Don't settle for living a life of safety when God has more than you can imagine planned for you. Can we sing this chorus together? Come on, let's sing this chorus together. Come on, lift up your hands if you need to. Lift up your heart. Let's sing this chorus out together. Father, would you come? 
Would you come in our tomorrows? Would you come as we go to work this week? Would you come in our families? Father, would you give us that desire, that hunger? Amen. Amen. Come on. God's doing it. God bless you. We'll see you next week, if not before. But let's go out of here. Ready to see what God wants to do. You're released. I am broken. Nothing I can do. Calling out to you. Bringing you a heart that's open.